Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Councilman Mike Carbasi on the show. Fresno born and raised, Councilman Carbasi received his business degree from Fresno State before working in his family's small business. Carbasi now represents District 2 on we the City Council. We get into politics, legal issues, conservation versus development, Persian rugs and food, books, and more. Please enjoy my conversation with Councilman Mike Carbasi. To the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Fresno's best. Councilman Carbasi, where do you like to eat in Fresno? It depends. Uh, I do like to cook at home, um, but there are some really amazing restaurants. Elbow Room is a favorite. Okay. It's kind of the place to be. Uh, Mike Sheranian is a District 2 resident, and uh, he just does such a great job. Yeah, I've, um, I've only ever had drinks at uh, Elbow Room. Uh, what do you like food-wise there? Well, their steak sandwich is really good, uh, but their salads are great. That's my favorite thing. You've got to go to have food there. It's great. Yeah, I should. It's, you know, I, 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 like many people, I got stuck in cycles during COVID where I was eating the same oh, things sure. over and over again. And I think a lot of people in Fresno do that. They kind of cycle through the same things and uh, don't step outside of their comfort zone. So just a reminder that there's good food out there. You just got to try. What's your also, favorite? What's that? What's your favorite? You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I love going to Annex Kitchen. I was just there last night. Oh, they're uh, great. You know, it's... Yeah. It's it's hard, especially in this season with the corn agnolati being on the menu. It's hard to pass that up. And right. Um, but right now, and I, I think this is in your district. Um, my wife and I are obsessed with just a capital P or capital O uh, with made M A Y D, mm-hmm. uh, which is that fast casual Mediterranean chipotle thing. Palm and just, it's on a reel. We have like favorites, and we just hit a button and then go pick it up. Um, have you had their food? I have. And the great thing about their kind of food, I actually had a restaurant myself for several years with similar kind of food. It, the ingredients are all fresh ingredients. Um, you're not going to feel, you'll, you'll feel full, but not heavy. Mm. Uh, so it, it is a great, great little restaurant. Yep. You know, you get your vegetables, your protein, you know, and my favorite thing that I've been adding recently is they do uh, like, um, what are they called? The, uh, it's like the, uh, those little kind of crusty. Waffle? Uh, falafel, but like croutons almost. That oh, you can yeah. get on top. I had that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, so good. Um, so let's jump into a few topics. I want to start with some District 2 questions sure. uh, that I had. Um, so, you know, District 2 is an interesting place, uh, both in shape, you know, it's American politics, so everything has a weird shape, right? Um, but it has kind of these very different communities within your boundaries. You know, you have a community like the community along the bluffs, you know, high mm-hmm. income earners, business owners, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of world. And then in your uh, district, you also have uh, some some places like Pinedale, which mm-hmm. are very different. So I guess my first question is, how do you think about, you know, representing such wildly different communities um, and being their kind of one representative on city council? So, I mean, you know, I grew up, I was born and raised in Northwest Fresno. I've grown up around this. Um, I went to school at Malik Elementary. You had a good mix of kids of high income and low income. And it's just part of our culture in Northwest. I mean, you know, even people that have a great deal of means here, they're pretty down to earth. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes I lean on them to get support for other people. Um, in, in fact, some of the restaurants you mentioned, they're owned by some of those families that live yeah. in Northwest Fresno. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a job. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or not wealthy. Um, everyone gets one vote and they deserve help and representation. Pinedale is actually going to celebrate their centennial next year. And we're going to, we're hopefully if this budget passes um, on Thursday, uh, there'll be some money in the budget for some improvements in Pinedale uh, so they can celebrate that event. They're a pretty active community. Uh, they have monthly na- uh, meetings and which we attend along with the police department and other entities in the city of Fresno. So um, we're pretty, pretty fortunate. to. Yeah. Be and to- sometimes in those communities, you know, particularly low income communities, I lived in a pretty low income area in Los Angeles before I moved here. Um, you know, you'll have people that are a lot more connected. Some of these high-end communities, high-income communities where everyone's isolated in their little castles and separate from each other. Um, and so there's different issues. So what are some of the improvements that you would like to see for people in Pinedale to give them a better, you know, environmental, like lived experience where they live? So my biggest priority for Pinedale right now is a park. Uh, they really don't have a park in Pinedale. Now there's a great school, um, and they're, they're very Clovis, you know, it's a Clovis unified area. And um, the principal there and the superintendent of Clovis are very, very invested in Pinedale and helping those kids move up along uh, the educational pathway to get a great career and have a great job and income and change their lives. But you, sorry to interrupt, but can you explain why is that Clovis unified right there? It feels like, you know, I understand some of these schools that are kind of in North Fresno right on the border, but like that feels like, how is that connected or how did that, how did that connection originate? That's a great question. So I don't know the origins of that. What I do know is that um, in, I went to, for example, I went to Bullard High School and then I moved within Northwest Fresno, just a couple of miles north of where I was and ended up in the Clovis Unified School District. So we have three school districts in um, District 2, Central Unified on the west side, you know, the Bullard area, Fresno, uh, I'm sorry, Central Unified on the west side, the Bullard area is Fresno Unified. And then a little bit towards the northeast of my district is going to be Clovis Unified. Mm-hmm. And now a lot of these districts were decided a long time ago, and then growth happened over time in the area. But the newest growth area probably was the Central Unified area. And it's so interesting when you have all these you know, I so I taught for four years in Chowchilla, and Chowchilla is a town of seventeen thousand people, and people don't know, but there's three school districts in Chowchilla with three separate school boards, three superintendents, and there's just a lot of like you know inefficiencies with that. You know, like having busing systems for all three. Uh, do you think it'd be beneficial if you know there was one school district in in your district, or uh, is there some advantages to having no different? I, I I'll tell you why Fresno Unified, which I'm a product of, um, it's the third largest school district in the state and um, it's probably too big. So I don't think we would need to, I mean, I I get it. There's multiple school boards, but when you look at the numbers right now, um, I don't think the folks in Central Unified or Clovis Unified will want to change. They'd want yeah. to well, and it gets when it gets so big, it's hard to have representation, right? You know, it's hard to like have your voice heard if there's such a large bureaucracy and there's so many challenges with that. Well, and efficiencies are only good if you know they're helping people, right? True. And it's, it's kind of similar. The, the board situation at, Club, at, at Fresno Unified is a little bit similar to what we're having at the city of Fresno, where um, so a majority of the voting population in the city, even though our, our districts are all equal population, but a super majority of the voting population is in North Fresno. So districts two and six primarily, mm-hmm. but the more radical uh, representatives are from the South. 
So, uh, you know, it's, it's just interesting how, is it really the will of the people? Mm. We'll begin into that later on. Yeah, absolutely. One more district two question before we talk about city council. Sure. Um, what is your vision? So the San Joaquin River is kind of in your territory a little bit and it extends out. What, what What's your vision for the San Joaquin? I interviewed Craig Sharton about this. And one of the things he said is that Fresno was developed the wrong way, um, that downtown and uh, or the center of Fresno should be the San Joaquin River. Um, and he was picturing these, you know, some of these cities like Chicago or whatever, they have these rivers that run right through the center. And it's this beautiful feature that people can experience. But at the same time, you have people like with the San Joaquin River Conservancy that want to protect it and keep, you know, these trails that people hike, walk, mountain bike on. Uh, what's your what's your vision for San Joaquin? More development or more protection and keep it kind of more in the uh, environmental protected space? So last year I was the chairman of the San Joaquin River Conservancy Board, and I know exactly what you're talking about. But at the same time, I am a business person. I grew up in Fresno in a small business, and I understand the importance of commerce and access to the river. So we are a waterfront community. This is the San Joaquin River is the second largest river in the state of California, and it's right here in our backyard. And imagine if you were able, in a safe way, without any creating any waste, be able to go to a restaurant, um, Annex Kitchen 2.0, and it overlooks the San Joaquin River. Or you're able to drive and then park your vehicle, get your kayak, and go kayaking uh, on the river. I, I, or if you just are a runner or a, bi a biker, a bicyclist, and you want to just be able to go along the Eaton Trail, which runs along the river, you know, from 99 all the way to, to Millerton Lake. It'd be nice to be able to do those things. And we have to increase access and do it in a way where people won't litter or disturb the habitat. But I don't want to just leave the river there and have it untouched. I want people to be able to look at it at the very least. So um, I, I think we're on the cusp. This has been a long time coming for the last generation, but we are just about to get to the point where, you know, I don't know if you have children, but by the time your kids, uh, you know, maybe five years from now, we'll have a tremendous amount of access through district two to the river. And it's mm. going to be great. Now, I don't know how many people are actually going to use it, yeah. but the point is the opportunity will be there. And I think it's going to be a great marketing uh, 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 point for the city of Fresno as well, for young professionals who want to have move here or retirees who want to have move here. Um, because you have to live here to be a part of our tax base. If you live in Madeira, it doesn't do anything for us. You live in Clovis, it doesn't do anything for us. So, yeah, well, I'm obsessed with the river and I, you know, there's, there's some points to access, but there's still a lot of private land that's connected to the river and, you know, the places where you can get in, they're not like user-friendly. If you're just a family that's just trying to get down to the river and you have to climb through brush and <laughs> potential rattlesnakes, and you're not going to do that with your kids. You know, it's, it, it's got to be easy for people. That's when they use it. And there's, you know, right near the 41, right on the other side of your outside of your district, there's that one area where there's a parking lot down there, mm -hmm. but it's only open on the weekends. And so if you want to get down there, you got to walk down this like treacherous dirt road that looks like something that, uh, you know, ADA wouldn't approve in a million years. And so, you know, it's, it's not easy. And I, you know, as someone that loves that river and, you know, regularly spends time around it, I would love it to be easier. So more people can use it at the same time. We probably need to do some work on it first. I mean, if you look at all the kind of the, you know, there's a lot of graffiti down there and a lot of things, you know, that trash and people that are using the space for illicit means or whatever, you know, there's probably some work that needs to be done, but and that's uh, almost all over. Uh, the, yeah. the good news is, that there's going to be multiple access points through Northwest Fresno. Mm -hmm. So on the Western part, we have Camp Bishayan. Um, Chip Bishayan is a former Congress member uh, for the Valley. 
And um, there's a road that we're working on um, that is right off of 199, which you'll be able to access the river from there. And there'll be a camp for kids, like a day camp um, with all kinds of activities out there. But the infrastructure is being worked on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be an access, two access points um, by the Palm Bluffs area. So okay. the end of Palm and Nice, you mentioned like Spano Park, you kind of have to go through the, the fence and walk down. It's kind of dangerous. There'll be a road. Yeah winding down and going all the way down to a parking lot which is right next to the river so it won't be as long of a walk and then you're going to have access to riverview drive which is kind of an access point now but they've closed it off we're going to have more parking there we'll have a road that's away from the homes and that way you can go down to the river and then of course uh the access point off 41 that you mentioned so it's getting there but you you hit the nail on the head we also have you know we can build access but we have to make sure there's safety places you can go to the bathroom for example Yes, um, we're working on uh, partnering with uh, Madera County and Fresno County to ensure that um, there'll be some kind of police presence if necessary uh, down there. But I think the more people that are there, the less vagrancy we'll have down there and the safer it will be. Yeah. And I think, you know, getting people outside is the best thing you do. And it's, you know, um, so you are you in support of in- increasing the flow of the river? I mean, there are points where it's really low flow and it's kind of I mean, it's kind of a river, but it's just a trickle. Um, and right now, because of the drought, the flow is pretty high. Um, do you think we need uh, more water flow to make it uh, a more attractive uh, activity for people? Well, I'm selfish. I want more water flow. It means more farming. And the reason why I want that is, our, you know, our food supply is very important. We take it for granted. The fact that, you know, I'm sure you have friends that give you fruit every now and then that we have this readily available amount of fruit and dairy products. Other places in this country don't have that. But um, when you cut off the water, you're cutting off the economy for those of the, a lot of them at the lowest end of our economy. And that's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. So um, it's, it's, it's a double benefit. It's benefit for our community because there's more recreational activity and opportunity in the era of COVID and getting out there and being, you know, out, out in the open. But at the same time, um, the, there's an advantage to having um, more water for farming on the West side. Mm. All right. Let's, uh, let's open up the floodgates and fry it. Um, so, uh, next topic, um, what, what, what would you say is the current culture of the city council? I mean, we get glimpses, you know, through what the B covers and the different media outlets and their particular bents. Um, as someone that's part of it, what would you say is the, is it a positive culture? Is it a somewhat negative culture right now, or is it just more complicated? Um, I try to stay out of the fray. Because my, my job, my responsibility is to focus on Northwest Fresno. I, I do care about our city. Don't get me wrong, especially when it comes to things like public safety. But um, I don't want to get sucked into all the drama. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's an unprofessional culture overall. Some of the decisions that get made, I really try my best to make decisions based on, you know, what's right rather than what's politically savvy. And it's a lot of it's common sense. But I have to, I, and I work and I see the decision making some others make. And I think to myself, well, that that is just plain politics you know what's what why are they making that decision and that's the biggest frustration i have yeah lots of posturing going on right that uh is more about speaking to your maybe your tribe than uh doing something that's practical or something that's going to benefit the community which is the hardest thing for you know people watching because they're like why are they doing this why are they doing this and you know for us we're just we (laughs) we want our elected representatives to like work on real issues that'll have changes in community not just kind of send messages outwards to their their particular constituents that they're trying to keep in good favor. I think posturing always happens, I mean, in politics, but 
it's it's laid on pretty thick right now with the city council and it just gets annoying where, where I can make a decision perhaps someone doesn't like, but if I can explain through common sense how I got there, that's a different story. But I don't think they can do that. I think they just make these decisions because, well, we can or we want to. And that's where you really lose people. Yeah. There's but again, been... okay, go oh, ahead. participation is so important when people don't vote, especially in the southern parts of our city. Um, you know, they'll win an election with 2000 votes out of tens of thousands of eligible voters. And they say, oh, I have a mandate. Not really. You know, you only got so many votes out there versus the number of voters. I mean, it's it's it's. Yeah, maybe you get 57% of the vote, for example. I'm just make, making a number up. But that's not actually, you know, a big chunk of the population. More people stayed home than voted for you. So, I don't know. I think that it's important to take the job seriously. But all the the fluff, oh, Mr. Councilmember or Mrs. Councilmember, all that stuff, just that, that's, it's just a job. And in, in reality, it's one of the most important jobs in government because it's at the level, the local level, where people see government every day from our streets, our parks, our public safety. Um, it's not the stuff you hear about on CNN, but it's very important because it's about the quality of life you're going to experience in your community. So there's been a lot of drama with these uh, very public pay raises that are happening. Um, and for me, you know, I mean, if you go on uh, the website I like to look at is, you know, Transparent California. Mm -hmm. So you can check, you know, every every state employee's wages in California. And, you know, I'm a public school teacher. So myself as well, you can look and see how much money I make. Um, and, you know, 135000 is probably in the low end <laughs> for, for state employees, certainly firefighters and uh, other, other, uh, other professions that work for the government. Uh, COs probably, on average, make higher than city council people that are representing their cities. Um, why do you think there has been uh, the drama attached to this particular issue? Well, when you look at where we are with the economy right now, it's a really tough time for a lot of folks. And it's the gas prices, the gas prices being at $6 a gallon or more. Uh, people think, oh my gosh, you know, uh, why would a politician raise their salary? Now, my salary will stay the same. The only way I get a raise is if the voters decide in 2024, I'm doing a good enough job and they keep me on. Otherwise, I won't get a dollar more. But the reason why I'm supportive of this measure is, look, if you're tired of the circus at City Hall, and we want better performers, then we can't pay peanuts. We need to attract financial advisors who, by the way, the average salary is $131,000 a year to leave their jobs because city council is not a part-time career. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of respect for the council and Clovis. They're all really good people, but their responsibility and their level of responsibility is not the same. We are the 34th largest city in the country, the fifth largest in the state. Uh, like I mentioned, in local government, you're dealing with day-to-day -day needs of people. It's not the kind of thing that, you know, you can do it as a part-time person if you wanted to, but you won't be doing a very good job. If we want to take this community to the next level and we want people that make those common sense decisions, you've got to convince them to leave their careers and run and go on this full-time job. I'll give you an example. A friend of mine's a police officer. I think he'd be a great council member. He has two children. He couldn't make that change because you can't be a police officer and a council member. So there's no way he can take a, what would be a $40,000 pay cut to become a council member with no pension, whereas he has pension now. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think council members should get a pension because it's temporary. You're only there for four yeah. years or eight years. You shouldn't get a pension. Mm -hmm. But um, that's the dilemma. If we want a higher quality person, we have to pay for it. Yeah. Well, and I, you know. 
of course, as a school teacher, I think the same things about public education, of course. Especially you know. with teachers. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- absolutely. And, and frankly, I mean, it's the same thing, right? You know, I mean, we're, you know, if you, if you want talent, you have to pay for it, you know, at the end of the day. And, you know, it's, and treating the profession with the respect that it deserves, you know, in some ways. And I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're all contributing to the same uh, civic goals and, and, you know, but, but if you're, if you're weighing the financial expectations for your family, you know, I think that the, those factors ultimately make the decisions at the end of the day. Let's um, let's transition to talking about streets for a second. Uh, two things that I know that you've uh, dealt with recently are speed bumps and street racing, <laughs> two 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 separate sides of the coin. Uh, so let's uh, two two related questions. Um, why are speed bumps important, and why is street racing such a problem? Yeah, so speed bumps are actually a lot more controversial than I thought. Um, so some people love them, some people hate them. Uh, there are areas in District Two where we absolutely need speed bumps. For example, by Liddell Elementary on Alluvial, it's mm-hmm. such a long straightaway. Mm. And it's next to a school. I'm very much in favor of these schools that are located like in within neighborhoods, having speed bumps in front of them because it slows the traffic down because children are very vulnerable. They're shorter. You may not see them. And the last thing we want is for a child to get hit. Um, but at the same time, uh, when you want to put them in a, a, in, in a certain other area, uh, some people think, oh, that's the perfect area. Some people think it's not. So we have a new process now where we, we've lifted the moratorium on speed bumps, but you have to get the consent of about 90, 70% of the uh, homes in the area, the residents to actually get them uh, built. Mm. And what's the main opposition, just inconvenience? I think so. Yeah. I mean, the worry about the cars, because it affects your suspension, you have to slow down and mm-hmm. which is kind of the purpose of speed bumps yeah. Um, I think that's the main opposition. The because there's humps and bumps, right? You can get the ones where you can kind of glide over versus the ones that are the uh, dramatic bump and drop. Well, you know, what I want to do is as soon as we build, put one in, in a certain area, I just want to go out there with my video camera and just videotape people just go up in the air because they're not ready for it. Maybe you need to have like an advertisement where you have like a local mechanic or someone that deals with suspension say, you know, this is not, you know. This is not, you know, if you drive like this over the speed bumps, then, you know, your car's not going to get wrecked. And then, right. you know, follow that up with like, you know, some data on, you know, how speed bumps avoid traffic accidents, people getting hit. You know, it seems like a pretty no brainer, especially, especially in a family oriented community like Fresno, right. you know, where right. it's that, you know, I, I, I've heard before I moved here uh, because my partner's family's from here. I've heard all those stories about those terrible accidents, particularly that one in North Fresno that happened a few years ago at, at Palm and uh, Bullard. Yep. Yeah. And just, you know, it, now it, speed bumps wouldn't that. affected that, but it was a street racing issue, which we'll get into in a second. Yeah. So let's get into that then. What, what is, um, is it, are there certain areas where it's more of a problem and uh, what makes those areas attractive to the speed uh, street racers? Well, I mean, I can tell you um, that that situation was on Bullard, but that started on Blackstone. So there is cruising on Blackstone. Now there's cruising like, you know, people in hot rods and they're doing their thing. That's not like the, the, the you know, the American graffiti type of thing. That's yeah. not the problem They're Those are very responsible folks. And I can't believe I'm 38. I'm saying this now it's the young driver of a souped up car they have no idea how to handle that decides they don't want to get a ticket because even though they're in the wrong and they take off from PD. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, in this particular case, this was in December of 21. 
It was absolutely unnecessary and tragic. You, uh, I think it was the day after Christmas, you had a family of uh, with four members that were killed by one driver who uh, there was a, a Camaro driver and a Mustang driver. The police pulled them over and the Mustang driver took off. And then, of course, then they went after them. Now, the police department backed off because this, the speeds were so excessive. But the person kept going, went through the red light and killed a family, uh, four, uh, four members of a family. And uh, the reason why that was tough, it really hit home for me because my fiance is a teacher and the mom of the young victim, uh, Allison Chang, uh, she was a coworker at the same school, a teacher. And you see the effect it has on the family. That shouldn't have, those are completely avoidable deaths. Now I'm really excited. And the mayor has been very, very you know, helpful spearheading this, it, that if the budget passes this Thursday, uh, the 30th of June, um, we are going to have a new dedicated street racing team. Mm. Now you ask the areas where this is a problem. Herndon's definitely a problem area. It happens on Kings Canyon. It happens on, there's this little circle area called Dan Runkeo way. Um, but a lot of these people are from out of town. They come to Fresno and they have these, like uh, these events. I, it's not quite fast and the furious, but it's just similar cars and excessive speeds. And they used to go out in the country and do this stuff. And it wasn't a problem because no one was out there, but they're doing it in neighborhoods. Mm. And that's a problem. And we can't tolerate that because we've had a lot of, especially in my district, a lot of uh, speeding pedestrian related deaths. And um, we, you know, we can't just sit there and do nothing. Enforcement helps. The number of officers and motor units makes a difference. There's an absolute correlation to that and the, making it more, making our neighborhoods safer. So this unit will also be able to have a dedicated sergeant. They'll be looking at intelligence because we have CHP, Bureau of Automotive Repair. We have Fresno PD and the Sheriff's Department and two helicopters, oh, sorry, two helicopters. And when we go out and find these people, they just move and they're very brazen. They have no shame in boxing in a police unit. So we have to have a lot of presence there. And the, when we give them a ticket, we impound their car. It's a 30 day uh, impound that accrues bills every day. So it becomes very expensive to do this. And the more, I think the more we do this, the difference it's going to make. Not in our town is basically the message. That is fast and furious. I didn't, I, I, I guess I didn't realize the extent of the problem, but that's that's great to know. Let's uh, jump into a completely different topic, which is Persian rugs. Uh, sure. what, makes, what makes a Persian rug distinctive? I was just talking to someone the other day about this, um, you know, how my family got started at this. This business started before I was born. And long story short, like so many people, you know, my family, they came to this country. My father came here for college and he went back home and there was a revolution. And so uh, he came back, uh, there, he worked for an oil company and there weren't a lot of oil companies in Fresno. So he ended up opening a business and the only way he can, he had some savings in the old country. The only way he can get money out was through rugs. So he opened a store thought I'll liquidate, uh, or, or he didn't open the store yet. He thought he was going to liquidate the rugs. Um, but what ended up happening was there was a recession. So he opened a store to kind of, you know, help him actually get more value for the product. And he liked it. And it became the, you know, a, a, an income generator. We have a lot of Armenians in Fresno, especially in Northwest. They grew up with these things. What makes them special? You know, we used to build so much furniture in this country. We used to build things that lasted in a family. It wasn't just, oh, we're going to, you know, go to Ikea and, you know, get a new dining set, you know, once, you know, once every five, 10 years, it was something that was part of the family. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And these rugs, they're handmade, they're unique, they're authentic, they appreciate and value over time, but it's the kind of thing you pass down in your family. And that's the difference. It's just more of a higher quality um, asset or higher quality thing. And you can use them. That's the best part. They are made to be used, crawled on, uh, whether, you know, you've got you know, little, little grandkids or children or, you know, they're, they're, they're wool, they're water washable. So they're pretty durable. Are there regional variations that you prefer? I know that there's like, there's, there's yes. tribal rugs, there's yeah. uh, some from different countries um, in that part of the world. Are there regional versions that you prefer? Yeah, that's a great question. So every city kind of has, or region has their own style. Um, Haris is a very popular design that's more geometric. You find a lot of people in Europe have those designs. I like blue. I love the color blue. So mm. um, there's a city called Isfahan. The entire city itself is very um, architecturally unique. And the designs on their buildings and the mosaics are very unique. But they have a really great color of blue they use. And those are my favorite rugs. And they're pretty, they're not, so silk is the number one, like the best quality rug. They use wool, but it's very, very fine. So, mm. What's a Persian flaw? In the rugs? Yes. That I've heard about the Persian flaw, where you have a small error or something within the oh. rug. Well, I think what you're talking about perhaps is a concept called abrash. So when they make a rug, they go, you remember those old printers, those dot matrix printers, they go line by line. Imagine making a rug is the same way. They go line by line. So let's say they have the blue color blue and they dye the the wool. They run out. Hmm. Okay, well, get me some more blue. And they start making a couple lines. They realize, oh, wait a minute. That's the wrong shade. Go back and lighten it up or darken it up. They're not going to undo that work. They're just going to keep going. So you might see a different strip of color. That's a human touch to it. And that's, I think, what you're talking about. Yeah. I love Persian food. I I love, you know, living down south, you know, going to the Westwood sure. area and getting good kebab. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I love about Persian food in particular is the idea that you can have cheese with breakfast. <laughs> that is that is a great thing because, uh, you know, I, and then, you know, some, you know, what's the, I'm forgetting what the yogurt is that you kind of extract the water from, uh, Labna. Right. They call, they call, yeah, right, that's the Armenian version, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just so many great things. Uh, what, what for you is your favorite aspect of Persian food? I mean, I grew up with it. Um, you know, the one, thing about Persian food, it's not, Indian food's delicious, but it's so spicy. Mm. Persian food has the flavor of what you're using, whether it's the meat or the rice. Saffron is a spice they use. But again, I was about to ask you that. Why? And I'm going to interrupt you here because we're going to we'll, we'll get back to it in a second. But give the base best case for why people should spend because it's not cheap. Spend a good amount of money buying high quality saffron. Yeah, it is very expensive. It's aromatic. I can't mm. explain it. It just takes the food to the next level. Uh, and you don't have to use a whole lot. Be very you know, sparing with it. Mm. But, you know, uh, it just it just gives a whole different flavor profile. Again, it's not overpowering, but it just changes the way, I guess, we process the food. I don't know. It's 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 I, I swear at Dutch Brothers because, mm. you know, everyone goes there and they wait in line. They must be putting saffron in their coffee. <laughs> yeah, probably. So. It's, it's, it's that. Yeah. I used to say it was crack or something, but it's that uh, it's that good. Um, and you asked my, my favorite food. The thing is, it takes a long time to make Persian food. It's not the kind of thing where, you know, you could make it in 15, 20 minutes and you eat it in just a few minutes, but it's just, it's, it's good quality food. I I, I do enjoy it. Lots of rice, but still that's part of the process. Is there a Persian restaurant in town? 
We used to have four, believe it or not. Uh-huh. And we're down to, to, let's see, two right now. There's one in Clovis called Tadik. It's in the Sierra Vista Mall. Okay. And there's another one called Kebabland. It's very good. It's at Palm and, uh, excuse me, not Palm, First and sorry, Cedar and Nice in District 6. Okay. Well, I'm going to encourage everyone listening to go have some Persian food soon because it's perfect summer food. You know, it's light, it's not heavy. You know, you can get a nice kebab, some kind of some, some, something stuffed in a grape leaf and you'll feel great after. All right. Two final questions. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what's wrong in Sacramento. So in your mind, what's wrong in Sacramento? It's too easy to pass laws. It's too easy to come up with a ludicrous idea and say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and move with this. I'll give you an example. I was just talking to a friend of mine who it works for the DA's office. And I had, we were talking about being on a jury. I've never been able to be on a jury. I've always wanted to. And she was saying, well, it's, it's interesting now because a law just came into effect this year. I can't recall the, the, the bill number, but if they, you know, when you wadir a jury, you can, you have so many people, you can say, okay, you can ask questions. This person's access allowed. This one's not allowed. So they can no longer preclude someone from being on a jury. Because, let's say it's a, a police officer is involved in the trial. If you say, I hate police. Um, if you say you love police, um, they can, the, they can remove you from the jury. If you say, I hate police, they can't remove you anymore. And that is complete hogwash because it is a bias. It is a factor, but they're saying, I think the, the, the logic, which I'm you know, using air quotes for a reason is that people that typically don't like police are people of color, minorities, um, or, you know, people in poverty. So it discriminates against them to preclude them. But that really is very upsetting. If they would allow both, that would be okay but they're allowing one and not the other. And that just makes no sense. Now that may not seem like a very big deal, but in the era of trying to, you know, prosecute criminals. And when you get to the point of a prosecution, typically there's a grand jury there, there's the DA's office, there's the police, there's so many layers to it. Yeah. And to put that handicap now, we already have enough trouble keeping. Now I'm not against reform, but I am against doing things that re-victimize people. And because oftentimes a majority of the crime in this town is affected repeatedly by a, a minority of this community. I think it was, I, this, don't hold me on this quote, but former chief Dyer used to say this, that, you know, 90% of the crime occurs by like five, 10% or 5% of the population, but they keep yeah. victimizing the same people. Yeah. And when you take the tools away from the DA's office um, to legitimately and transparently prosecute these people, and they're back out there, who are they victimizing again? People of poverty, people of color, and it's just a big scam. So the biggest problem with Sacramento, it's too easy for a politician to have a crazy idea and get it passed. Yeah, and it's it's going to be interesting, um, you know, at, in the next few years to see, you know, in, the, in a post-row world, um, if, if there's going to be a, a reflux back, you know, there's been a lot of people quote, you know, I don't know how accurate this is, but the migration out of California, I, I suspect that this might, uh, you know, turn the pipe the other direction. Um, and, you know, California, you know, we have a lot of problems, but we also are doing big things here that a lot of other states aren't doing. So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's a problem of size. It's a problem of, you know, one party being really dominant in California and like how to incorporate everyone in, in this, in this kind of shared society we live in. 
Uh, but we could, yeah, we could get into <laughs> district attorneys and all those things uh, for quite a while. Let's close by though, talking about books. Uh, can you recommend the audience two or three books that are either important to you or influence you? Sure. Uh, Worthy Fights by Leon Panetta. Okay. Uh, he's a former CIA director and uh, a, a defense secretary, but he's actually from California. He was a congressman here. Okay. And I'm very careful with money, uh, despite the whole salary issue. Yeah. Um, and he was instrumental in creating a budget surplus in this country. And I think it's, it's a, it's a, it was a lost opportunity, the fact that we didn't have a big deficit. Mm-hmm. So that's a great book. It, it covers a lot of the bin Laden raid and the decision-making there. Did you um, learn anything about leadership from that book? Yes. Um, and long story short, I, my first really rough week as a council member was happened during the closures when we're closing businesses down, which was really, really rough to do, including my own business, because I know the effect it has on people. Yeah. I ended up writing him a letter and he responded because he runs the Panetta Institute, which okay. is at the CSU Monterey Bay. And I was able to have a phone conversation with him. I didn't uh-huh. really... I mean, for me, it was phenomenal. I didn't really talk a lot. I listened. It was 16 minutes, but he told me um, a couple of really good lessons that came from the book. Number one is uh, when you want to do something, make sure you have a real reason for doing it. Because like I said earlier, people may disagree with you, but if you can give them a logical reason how you got there, Mm -hmm. they won't agree, but they'll understand at least you're not playing politics. The other one was don't get whiplash. And I said, well, what's that? So, well, when you tell one person one thing and another group another thing, and you're going back and forth because people do talk, especially in Fresno, we are a big town now, but we still have those neighborhoods, those communities. You mentioned Northwest Fresno is very much like that. People talk and they don't like being lied to. Who would? Mm. So I learned, I learned that from the book and from the conversation with him, which was really, I just shot in the dark. I got lucky and was able to, able to, to talk to him. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm rereading Ian Fleming's novels. I'm just starting with From Russia with Love. Nice. But if you like historical fiction, Frederick Forsyth, Day of the Jackal, The Odessa File, that's one of my favorite books. It's such a, because it takes some of our elements of history and then weaves a story into that. It's so much fun. You know, and it's interesting right now with all the Russia stuff going on, like those books have a, apparently have been reinvigorated, you know, some of those Cold War novels. And, oh. You know, it's a, I'm sure you have your own particular perspectives because of your background about that region of the world. Cause you know, that part of the world is all connected, which <laughs> if we had more time, I'd love to go in with you. So maybe we'll have to do a round two. Um, sure. What's uh, what's next for you uh, these days? What are you working on and what's uh, what's projects in the next couple of months look like? Yeah. So right now um, my biggest infrastructure priority, which is going to take more than a couple of months, unfortunately is if, if you ever, you were talking about river access, for example, yeah. have you ever driven down Audubon Avenue? Audubon sure. Drive. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the goes through the neighborhood, right? Right. So instead of using Nice, people use Audubon and it's the traffic is very, very fast mm. and people live on that street. Yeah. And yeah. if you want to cross the street, there is no crosswalk. So one of my priorities is breaking that up, getting a traffic signal or traffic calming installed so you can cross the street. Mm. And, you know, the funding is pretty much there for that. But the process takes a long time to do the right-of-way studies. It, it's, it's really annoying because I want to do it like that. It's my biggest, it's, I want to do it for three years. We're getting a traffic signal installed by Star Elementary, which mm. is in Sierra and, uh, and, and West. And that's a big deal for me because we've had accidents out there in front of the school. And there's no dedicated left turn lane. So people are bypassing each other and creating a havoc and accidents. Those, it may seem like a little thing, but it's a very big deal to the neighborhood. 
Yeah. I think we get so caught up when you get into counsel that you say, oh, I want to do these bold, big things. But the problem is that's not the job. The job is to do the things that matter to your district. And mm-hmm. I think that's bold. Yeah. Um, but- I couldn't agree more. The small things really do add up to being something big. Sure. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, last question. Where can people uh, find what you're working online, find you online? Sure. So a couple of ways. So you, go, you can go to fresno.gov and you can look under government and district two. Um, but fate, we're on Facebook. We, you can message us through Facebook. You can email district two. That's the number two district two at fresno.gov. Um, I'm going to give you my cell phone number. People can call me. They can text me. I've been lucky. I've not had a, and this is not a challenge for anyone. I've not had one prank call yet in three years. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm very lucky. Uh, 559-601-0564. You can call me. You can text me. That's 559-601-0564. If it's, you know, one in the morning and a water main breaks, something happens, God forbid, it's okay. You can text me. That's what I'm here for. And sometimes people do. My, uh, my, what I don't like is when people don't tell me and I don't know. I had a resident, mm. re- in fact, uh, reach out to someone who they, he was walking and he said, oh, I have this problem. And uh, Mike never got back to me. I didn't know about it. I felt terrible. I don't want that to happen. This is all about customer service. So that resident let me know, connected me with Vince, the resident, and we're actually getting his issue taken care of. That's what we're here to do. Um, yeah. So please reach out. And if you have a problem, you need to call the city, 311-311. It's a great way to do that. You got a pothole, an issue. You can always call me. Mm. You can also call 311 as well. Well, you can't beat that access. So uh, power to you for giving out your cell phone number. Uh, that's that's uh, that's a level of commitment and servitude that we don't often get from our civic leaders. So appreciate you talking with me. This has been great. Fresno's best. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's best. We'll see you next time.